You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Here's today's spoken edition of Wired. Star Trek Discovery is worth the price of CBS All Access. Maybe. By Adam Rogers and Brendan Neistat. Last night, CBS finally took the wraps off its oft-delayed new show, Star Trek Discovery. The two-part debut, The Vulcan Hello and Battle at the Binary Stars, gave fans the first new TV trek since Star Trek Enterprise ceased subspace transmission in 2005, and they were ready for it. Last night's premiere set a single-day record for new sign-ups for CBS's all-access streaming service. Those who ponied up for an account got both parts of the debut. Those who didn't only got the first episode, which aired on broadcast, like something from the 1990s. Is it worth the money? Was it worth the wait? Wired writers Adam Rogers and Brendan Neistat, two lifelong Trek fans, boldly agreed to discuss the newest venture. Shields up! Red alert! Spoilers ahead. Adam Rogers All right, Brendan, my mind to your mind, my thoughts to your thoughts. How are we feeling? On the one hand, I'm glad to have some Star Trek to watch, and while I got all aflutter watching a Klingon armada get hashtag disruptive on the United Federation of Planets, some part of my brain was definitely spinning on the story problems and possible solutions I wrote about last week. Like, it spent two hours on the kind of character deployment and story setup that Deep Space Nine could have knocked out in a single cold open. And this definitely wasn't Explore Strange New World Seek Out New Life Trek. This was Dark Starfleet at War, with a captain who meets her Kobayashi Maru and a promising officer who ends up sentenced to life in the stockade for mutiny. Hey, relatedly, there is no piece of culture I can embrace wholly where Michelle Yeoh dies an ignominious death. I didn't like it in Sunshine, and I don't like it here. She was in heroic trio, for Pete's sake. She could have taken that Klingon. Brenda Neistat. I saw it coming from a light year away, but still, ouch. What I didn't see coming was that they'd also killed a Klingon cult leader to Kuvma. Overall, even with my quibbles over the first two episodes, I'm still holding up judging it entirely. I think the two-parter backstory was an intriguing way to open this new show, but it also worries me that the CBS all-access, first-taste-is-free thing means we don't have a sense of what the bulk of the story will involve because the network is putting a lot of window dressing in the episodes people can watch for free. Maybe fans who didn't like the introduction would learn to love where it pivots to next. 
Was the opening dark? Yeah, it was. I appreciated that Michael Burnham wanted to get out there and check out the OUO, Object of Unknown Origin, and that they bring up the balance between exploration and war. I think that darkness is something this time period can exploit more since we're firmly in the cowboy diplomacy days of Kirk. Even with my Star Trek brain fully engaged, <laughs> I was surprised that the drama worked on me. When Burnham disables the captain with a perfectly executed Vulcan nerve pinch, I was stunned. When that Klingon ship took out the USS Europa while decloaking, I recoiled. As much as I was scrutinizing the uniforms and the Klingon makeup, the show worked for me on a basic level. Rogers. Yes, yes, me too. But be honest, if the setup for this show was that it was set 100 years after Voyager rather than a decade before TOS, would it be any different? In what sense is this a prequel? The Klingons do not look like Klingons we've seen. The instrumentation on the ships is new. The uniforms are new. The pew-pew of the phasers and photon torpedoes are new. The Federation starships don't look anything like the ships of the era, where no Constitution-class starships deployed at that point. Why don't the Bussard collectors have the light-up pinwheel spinny effect? Why don't the warp nacelles have to be as far from the crude parts of the ships? What are these Star Wars communications holograms doing here? Flipside, I loved seeing the rethought handheld phasers and communicators. They really are elegant, and I like the bridge noises being the TOS bridge noises. But other than knowing Sarek is Spock's dad, what's prequel E about this? This isn't necessarily a complaint. I like the story so far. I just feel about it the same way I did about the reboot movie's alternate timeline. As a fan, I don't need it. I don't know, maybe it's all set up for the last shot of the season, being a TOS-authentic Constitution-class Enterprise heading off on Captain Pike's five-year mission. Nystedt. The look of the show is something I'm still reconciling, but Trek has been here before. Whether it's the retcons of Star Trek Enterprise or especially the 1979 motion picture, designs and tech change a bit to suit the time. I've never believed that the movie Enterprise was the same Enterprise as the TV show, and yet it's known to be a refit. Unless it's the ship of Theseus, the movie Enterprise just can't logically be the same as the one from the show. I digress. I'm also unsure why they decided to make this a prequel, especially if it's going to try to do its own thing. I'd understand if it were for the sake of fan service, but as of yet, there have been a limited number of references to the universe. I'm hoping they'll at least hint at conforming to a style closer to what we know from TOS, but I'd be okay if that were a reinterpretation, too. The Klingons were another sticking point. I was cool with showing this rogue gang of Kalis worshippers, but when the rest of the house leadership skypes in to Takuvma's sarcophagus ship, I was disappointed. Enterprise tried to give the makeup and characterization changes of past Klingons some kind of sense, but I felt like even that explanation couldn't remotely cover for why all these Klingons looked different. At least they were completely subtitled. That I really dug. Rogers. I liked hearing all that Klingon, too, and then seeing the Universal Translator kick in when Takuvma called the Shenzhou. Cool starship names all round, actually. I love the references to a USS Jaeger. Speaking of, though, you make a good point that we didn't even really know what the story of the show will be. We haven't yet discovered the Discovery. Presumably, the ship will spend the bulk of the season on, and despite my gripes, I'm psyched for it. I don't know if a lot of people will spring for the show, but I'm glad it exists, and I'm looking forward to the season. Glad there's more Star Trek in my life. Can I tell you a separate story? 
I know that the first episode did great in the ratings, 9.6 million people, and CBS is saying that it got a big pulse of new subscribers to All Access, but not giving out numbers. So, okay, last night I watched the first episode on my DVR and then went to subscribe to All Access to watch the second. First, I tried to do that via Apple TV, but apparently my Apple TV is so old that it doesn't really know how to do two-factor authentication. You have to get a verification code from your phone and then type it in along with your password, apparently. But timed with the deafness of a long-time gamer, which I'm not, I gave up. I went to the app on my iPad, which seemed ready to let me sign up until it decided that my zip code was invalid. Several times. Narrator, it was not invalid. Finally, I logged all the way out and then logged in with Google, which somehow convinced the app my zip code was real, at which point I learned that payment was going via my Apple account, which makes me wonder why I'm paying CBS instead of just Apple. This all took about 45 minutes to figure out, by the way. This is not an onboarding process anyone should be proud of, is my point. Nice dead. That's a huge bummer. I'd signed up for my all-access account earlier in the day through the website, but that wasn't ideal either. Like, I'm happy to give my money over to Trek, but I wish it were more streamlined. One disappointment for me is that even though Discovery is a launch title for the service, the rest of the Star Trek offerings are a mix of HD and non-HD. Voyager and DS9 haven't been restored, and they might not ever be, but only about half of the next generation and none of the original show appear in their HD incarnations. And so, even though we get a new show, Trek continues to get dissed. It's a treasure of global popular culture, but it just doesn't get the respect it deserves, whether it's from CBS or Paramount. I'd go so far as to say that MGM is giving Stargate better treatment with its upcoming streamlining service, offering up just that show's back catalog and movies for a flat rate plus the promise of new content to come. And when you have to look to Stargate to find a decent single-franchise online service, you know it's going to be a long road. But I got faith of the heart. Rogers. A no stovo core for you, pal. Eesh. Anyway, no matter what these streaming services show or don't show, they can't take the sky from me. Nystead. Oh man, I was looking forward to seeing my ancestors in the afterlife. One thing I enjoyed seeing yesterday was how fandom reacted to the show. Definitely check Twitter for hashtag onfleet. Some excellent funny commentary there, particularly from nerds of color and women fans. So, next Sunday, we finally get to see the titular ship. Somehow, Burnham gets out of her life sentence, and I guess we'll get more Saru, too. I'm on the Discovery train. Are you feeling optimistic? Rogers. I'm with Ambassador Spock. There are always possibilities. Nystead. LLAP. And tune in next week. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.